Hello, and thank you for tuning in to the Attack and Release Show. My name is Matt, and I am joined today by my good friend from Nashville, Sam Moses. Howdy. We also have a special guest who Sam will introduce. And uh, yeah, we'll we'll tee that up in a second. But this will we I, I think back in September, or so we decided we wanted to do this as as a finale episode, and we're pretty darn excited to very uh, to have this guest on the line. <laughs> Can so, you tell? I'm so excited. <laughs> Sam's jumping out of his chair. I have no excitement. So, <laughs> so wasting no time, Sam, take us into a brief housekeeping. Great. Great. Hello, my friends, listeners, welcome to Housekeeping. This is that unique time, that special time where you can go like, share, subscribe our podcast, The Attack and Release Show. What really helps us out is if you take a screenshot of this episode or a previous favorite, post it on Instagram, tag me at Moses Mastering, tag Matt at For the Record Mastering. We will share, we will cross market. We also get to know uh, you individually, which has been so much fun this year since we've started this little cross-marketing thing. And so we love getting to know our audience one-on-one. Y'all are the lifeblood of this podcast. So thank you so much for listening again. And that is Housekeeping Out. Very nice. Nice, short, concise. You know, when you do it 50 times, you you finally get it down. This year. has to be close to like 135. <laughs> yes. Yeah, that's true. It's got to be close to it. So, Sam, why don't you go ahead and uh, and introduce who we have on the podcast today. We don't interview a lot of people. This is no, we kind of a rare occasion. So, why don't you go ahead and, and uh, consider this me teeing you up. Well, friends, audience, listener, we have one of my dear friends today. His name is Dave McNair. He is salt of the earth. And he has made a lot of records I know you enjoy. And that is the introduction. Thank you, guys. <laughs> Welcome, Dave. Welcome, Dave. Glad to be here. Uh, thanks for being a guest. Thanks, Matt. And thanks, Sam, for having me on here. I I, uh, I, I don't know that it's that important, but I this thing called, came about because I actually uh, I listened to y'all's podcast Um you know, not like religiously, but I, I you know. <laughs> you're a fan, Dave. I'm a fan. He's and, a fanboy. And I, well, thank you. I heard a couple of episodes. Actually, just to backtrack, I heard another podcast that Sam was on, and then I found the Attack and Release show, and I, uh, I reached out to him, and I just wanted to uh, to say hi and and uh, tell him how much. Uh, some of the things he said on that podcast and, and what you guys talk about is, uh, I think, is awesome. So, uh, and that's kind of how we find ourselves here. Yes, thank you. Yeah, appreciate it. Um, I want to jump right into this because our time is important, and so I want to lead with this question, which is, Dave, if you were to start again today what would you do um if you were going to be a master engineer again okay, yeah and you were starting over right what would you do well i in think 2022 i think it's a it's a good time because 
you know, people always have to make music. I mean, it, 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 um, all the years I've been doing this and, and then the 20 years prior when I was a mixer and producer and whatnot, um, you know, I just remember so many years where how well I did had no bearing on anything having to do with the economy. Like there'd be like raging great economy years and I was, you know, busting my ass and not maybe had a poor year. And then, you know, there'd be some crash and I'd have like my best year in years. So like, I, I don't, to people that are wary of starting up an enterprise in these uncertain times, I would say, you know, don't, don't worry about that so much. And the other thing that makes it a good time is that, you know, with a, a decent monitor system and a computer with some plugins, I mean, dude, you're set. Yeah. I, you know, that's, <laughs> it's, uh, you know, it may not be as sexy and as tactile as, you know, the knobs and stuff, but, um, yeah, I honestly, I could, I, I could easily just master digital and not not feel like I was sacrificing. I the, the analog stuff is for me is just something to amuse myself. I don't really. It's not like yeah. I have to have things. So yeah. And, um. So yeah. yeah. So I, I yeah I'd get I get a couple speakers. I you know find a nice room and treat it as best I could and and uh, you know get a basic digital system and then go meet all the bands in my area and try and get something going and that's you would go meet bands that's what you would do um yeah i mean i think you can you know the the getting business thing i mean that's that's a whole podcast in in itself can um, we talk about that for like that was actually going to be my next <laughs> question is if you were to start again today how would you cut your chops again Man, I don't know. I, that's a that's a tough question because, as you guys well know, I mean, it takes it takes a while yeah. um, to get good, and then it takes a while to get clients. So, mm-hmm. I in my when I decided to transition out of out of mixing and recording into mastering, I had there was two things. I I, I was incredibly naive, and I thought, oh, this is easy, little bass and trouble, and you know. <laughs> off to the races. And I, I, I was naive enough to think that it wouldn't take me that long to figure out how to do it. But I also had a little voice in the back of my head saying, don't reach out to all of your producer mixer friends to try and get their work because you, you better like figure it out first. <laughs> right. And so um, I spent a couple of years kind of transitioning out of recording and mixing uh, into trying to figure out how to, you know, make stuff sound good and what gear I, you know, needed. And um, so I had the kind of an advantage of having already worked in music production for over 20 years before I got into mastering. Yeah. So, and uh, for myself. I was self-employed the whole time. I mean, I, there's a couple times where I worked at the studios, but I basically had to go go get gigs and stuff. Um, only, you know, those gigs were, I wouldn't say they're harder, but um, 
it, you know, they're more time consuming. And so like I went from this cycle of recording or mixing like four major label, five major label records a year, you know, budgets were good mm-hmm. to like doing some, some fun freebie projects for friends and maybe mixing uh, an odd, you know, three or four songs here and there. And so the most of your time is not spent looking for work. You're, you're working. And then you kind of have a sense if there's a couple of month long project that's drawing to a close, you're like, well, do I have something after this or, or don't I? And um, you just kind of network within the people that are actively, you know, in studios and stuff. But now when with a, such a decentralized thing and everybody's kind of an island to themselves i don't i don't know how you do it anymore <laughs> really <laughs> i'm just old and like i've been doing it for so long i don't have to i don't have to go after stuff anymore although i will say that um the past eight or ten years i've consciously made it, made an effort to do just the stuff that i want to do yeah Good for you. Um, and that doesn't mean always turn people away, but it means like <clears throat> if I find somebody on Instagram, I'm, I'm big on Instagram, um, not just to promote my own BS, but like I'll cruise around and find find stuff and I'll actively search down a link and listen to somebody's music. Yeah, And sometimes it's an artist, but more often than not, it might be like a, a mixer or a producer. And I'll fucking message them and say, dude, your shit sounds great. I know you probably already got your people, but if you want to try something different, give me a shot. See, you know? there it is. Good for you. That's I, do, I, I, mean, I, I don't do it so much these days, but there was a time where I was trying to kind of shift the clientele right. and I did that a lot. And sometimes you can't be frustrated about it though, because sometimes it takes a long time because yeah. the person has their regular people or and they're not, hopefully not unhappy with who they're using. And I don't, I certainly don't want to steal anybody's work. Like I never say, oh, I'm better than your dude. I, right. That's the wrong attitude. It's just like, you know, if you want to try something different, um, or if you think I might be right for something, uh, I don't think you can be too aggressive. You just have to be chill. And, and sometimes, you know, like I remember years ago, I don't know where it was. I maybe I think I was working Sterling and um, I still had plenty of work, but I was just on the internet and I came across some guy, some random website. I don't even know how I found it. And I listened and he was like a mixer guy. And I listened to his couple of stuff. I was like, well, shit, this guy's stuff is good. <laughs> and it's nobody I've heard of, but he's, he's good. And I emailed him through his website, you know, and of yeah. course, like a lot of people, he never goes to his website anymore because it's all about social media. And it took him like six months to get back to me. He's like, hey, I just checked my website. I saw your email from like six months ago. As a matter of fact, I got this six-song EP. And the guy sent me a thing. And I would say over the years, I've probably done 50 G's worth of work for that guy. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I mean, I think that's something our audience continually asks us is how do I get consistent clients? How do I get business? How do I draw up business? And I think what people need to understand is you just said, like you've kind of been doing this, you know, reach out thing maybe the last eight to 10 years. Mm-hmm. But you had already spent 20 years like mastering essentially before that. And so, so many people in our audience just have started mastering. Right. And they're like one year in and they're like, 
I don't know how to do this. They've like already given up. And you were still and still are <laughs> reaching out, essentially cold calling. I, oh, I'm still, I'm still cold. Being, you know, through Sterling and then independent. Oh, dude, like, I'm like fucking 64 and I still reach out. Right. I'm still like, wow, I'm excited about that music. Right. That band is cool. Who did that? Right. Oh, I know a guy that knows that guy. Yeah. Let me see if I can, you know, and with social media, it's easier than ever. Like the right. direct message. I mean, they may not check it for a while, but. Right. Um, just, you know, be a decent human being and say, <laughs> I I really vibe with your stuff. And if you've got some opportunity, some low budget thing or some freebie thing, or if you're pitching a mix to some body to get a gig and you want me to master it up, just, you know, yeah, that kind of thing. I mean, look I at, was in, in, yeah. in the early days when I was at MasterDisc and when I was hungrier and more had something to prove. I would go after stuff. Yeah. I would like, I would definitely go after stuff. Like I would be like some producer person who either who I knew or maybe who was a friend of a friend or I figured out how to get a hold of. And I'd be like, send me that last album that you sent to so-and-so, send me a couple of tunes off that and I'll blow you away. And they would do it <laughs> and they'd awesome. go, holy fuck, I'm not going back to that guy. You'll have the next one. That's amazing. So, I'm gonna write that one down. <laughs> I did that a lot <laughs> because in the in the eight, that's the other thing that the audience has an advantage of. When I started, it was like tape and facilities, and like you're not gonna get some guy in 1990 to send you the master tape so that yeah. you can do a do a test, you know? Right. So, but now it's like oh. I mean, maybe the, the label's got the masters, but I got all the shit on my computer right here. Right. Take, take a stab at it. Right, right. I don't care. I so were you having to like source a, your... Yeah, go oh, ahead, I'm Matt. sorry, go ahead. Okay. Uh, were you having to source your own work at MasterDisc and then Sterling? Uh, yeah, pretty much. It's not a... They're not an employment, you know, office. Um, at Sterling, they have a... They've got their whole, like, uh, foreign thing so there's a fair amount of built-in work from their foreign project coordinators and they're just like a you know huge whales in other countries that just scoop up all the plankton mm-hmm. and send to the the home office in new york so i would do a lot of stuff for you know south american people and uh italian and whatever else so it's pretty neat. But, but yeah, all the regular stuff is all just people I knew or uh, hmm. uh you I know, no there's idea. a cer- I, I certain amount just... of built in business. There, there's certain people that will just go there because of the name sure. and they don't really even have an awareness or care who does it. They just want that name on the on the credits. But uh, I did some of that, not a whole lot of that. Sure. I would I would actually have more figured that it was like okay, yeah, you're rolling in, and this is like who we got for you this week, and this is they're kind of booking your schedule out, and this is who needs to needs to get out, not necessarily self sourced stuff. So that's that's actually pretty interesting. I I never knew that. Well, they the I mean, I have a full time person that I've had for the past I don't know fifteen years or something. Actually, ever since I I left there and went back out on my own, that um. Mm-hmm. That does all that. So, um, 
you know, as you guys are, I'm sure, aware, when you get to a certain level of of busyness, you just can't. I I can't. I, my ADHD is so bad, I just can't deal. Um, and so a lot of times, like somebody would in the, and the same thing at Master Disc, you know, in those days, your friend or your friend of a friend or, you know, somebody would say, would message me or email me or whatever and say, hey, I've got this project. And I would refer them to the project manager people to to deal with. And I that's actually the same thing I do today because I have a, you know, I have a full-time person that handles all that. So it's nice. nice. Yeah, no kidding. I've uh, I've thought a few times about asking my wife if she might help me with schedule and everything. I, I swear, there's there's got to be a handful of people a year. It's like you get really busy and you don't yeah. have somebody who does that, and you're just like, did I invoice this person? It's like I don't see this. This was however many months ago. It's like, do I go back for this? Yeah. And so yeah, I don't. Not only do I have to keep track of that, I don't have to ever talk to anybody. <laughs> And yes. now I will reach out to to new people sometimes, and but I'm a terrible uh, introvert, and I love just living in my fortress of solitude. So, <laughs> um, Preach. yeah, I'll I'll do anything not to talk to people. So somebody will somebody will call like on the website which is ancient and has a super edit-date picture, but I can't change it because the computer that I've got it on doesn't work anymore. <laughs> I can't update the credit list or anything. So it's like, but in case somebody does do a search and the website comes up, there's a contact number on there. And the contact number is a Google voicemail. And so it simultaneously goes to my phone and goes to the, my project person, uh, Danielle's phone. And if I think that she's, doing something i'll just copy and paste it and send to her and same thing with emails or messages or whatever um i used to kind of have a preset letter that i would write back to people telling them who to get in touch with and now i just forward it to danielle i don't even talk to people sure (laughs) i'm terrible sure you're not it's kind of kind of a nice luxury (laughs) so we i know we were talking a little bit earlier um, and then I said, we should push record. Um, so as far as working for a mastering house versus being independent, which do you prefer and why? Well, I like working for myself because um, I can just kind of do whatever I want to do. Plus, I get to keep the whole take. I mean, I don't sure. know if most people realize, but the the handful of big places that still exist are like, you know, they're like, you know, law offices or like high-end haircutting salons. I mean, you, you know, they, they take a big cut. They take a huge cut. And so, um, and I had worked for myself for so long that the most I was used to pay anybody was my manager during the mixing and producing years, which, you know, 15%. Um, and I didn't, I didn't want to pay the percent that Sterling wanted. Um, it, it works for their business model, but I, it just doesn't, you know, there's, 
I think there's really two types of personalities. There's the kind of personalities that, that want to kind of work for somebody else and have them deal with everything. And then there's the more of the self-starters that are more comfortable doing doing it themselves. And And I'm not one of those do-it-yourself guys at all by any means but but i just after working at master master disc and sterling for a long enough time and sort of seeing how they ran things i was like oh you know i don't have to spend you know a hundred and fifty thousand dollars to do a website and their accounting and their scheduling and their upload and their custom upload and download. There's Google calendars, QuickBooks, <laughs> and WeTransfer. Right. And that's all you fucking need these days. <laughs> there you go. And, and back in those days, they were spending, you know, they could justify the cut that they took because the infrastructure was cost so much to run. Yeah. But it doesn't, it doesn't work like that anymore. Yeah. So, um, so- so it's nice yeah. being independent these days. Oh, it's yeah. I, well, I, I was, I, I wouldn't. I'm not going to say I was the odd man out, but in both of those facilities, they were populated with people who, for the most part, almost exclusively, had never worked for themselves. Yeah, mm-hmm. they had always worked for somebody else, and I was the opposite. I had always worked for myself, and it was the odd time period that I would work for. And there. The management in those places is not dictatorial. They don't tell you so much, you know, how they want you to do things or what you can or can't do or not even like what your price is or anything. But um, I just like to work for myself better, you know, yeah. so. So yeah. I, I I have a few questions in a bit of a different direction. Sam, it kind of touches on the bottom part of our questions if you don't mind me dipping a little bit into gear sure this isn't really like this is more of like a life and philosophy type thing we don't really like doing like the standard thing that you hear everybody the standard interview that everybody gets but you have some pretty interesting pieces of gear that i do want to ask you about yeah sure (laughs) let's go ahead and record the conversation yeah so you see a few years ago you saw those U23 compressors, the Vacuvox floating around. Those are, I'd, I'd love to know more about those. Sure. Um, love to know more about uh, essentially your whole, your whole rig that you have. It's like you have the, I think you have the two PassLab mono blocks, and I don't know what your speakers are. Are they Engelsons? Yeah, no, they're, uh, they're made in Canada by a company called Okora Acoustics. Okay. And they're, they're phenomenal. Um, well, let well, me the just, last one. The last one, real quick, is that that you know colorful Terry EQ you got too. So yeah, those are I, cool. I just want to hear your take on a lot of okay, on a lot of okay. your philosophy on this. Okay. Well, I'll just kind of wrap this into a very very short um, kind of like how I have my system set up and the workflow and stuff like that. So sure. um, I. It's funny before before we recorded, you were we were talking about you know like the output gain, the sound and stuff like that. I I don't do anything like that. Like I run everything totally Unity, and I run everything with tons of headroom, and um, 
I don't pound anything and I don't run anything anywhere near the top rails of their headroom power supply. So, Hmm. um, and I think Sam is, and I also don't have things daisy chained together because I learned a long time ago that um, even if you've got hardware bypasses, going through a whole bunch of wiring connections is, you know, you can pay a little price for it. So, so, um, for a long time, I had the dangerous stuff, which is excellent. And um, uh, I really like that. But it was basically the dangerous thing grew out of Chris Muth being the head tech at MasterDisk and then at Sterling. And so it was kind of his concept of how you put a system together. And that is you have a very clean insert device that you can selectively insert things in, which means that if you only have one thing, it doesn't go through everything else. Um, and very clean gain stages to, you know, precisely match the incoming gain of the mix to the, to your boxes and then an output gain to decide how, what the level is you're going to hit the A to D. Um, and then of course his little innovations like a wrapping a, some indifference matrix around some of the inputs, uh, the switches, the inserts. So I basically, um, and that's what they have at Sterling. They, they just have a slightly fancier version of his box. He designed the Sterling consoles. Um, but I figured out a long time ago that the only thing that was going to beat staying digital or give me results as good as digital with a certain undefinable something from the analog was to have this analog handoff be extremely clean. Like it's got to be massively clean and your, your A to D converters also your converter round trip has to be just blindingly clean or else you might as well stay digital. And so, um, so anyway, my current evolution of that is I have this, uh, NIF mastering controller, which Yante made. And it's, it's a, it's a PC regularly makes. I mean, it's not a custom special order, but he, I don't know how many he's made. And, and because of that, you can kind of get it customized with whatever you want. So I had him add more digital switching and things like that. Um, but basically, if I, go, if I go analog, I used to have like a two computer setup where one would pitch and the other would catch so that I, because in those days I was, capturing everything at 44.1 because there wasn't really any need for high res. CD was the standard and I didn't want to sample rate convert it later. And then at some point, um, I think Ted at Sterling told me, oh, you should just keep everything at the native sample rate of the mixes. So so I started, um, I blew off the two com- the two computer thing. Actually, I had, I had, yeah, two. Com- I had, yeah, I had a very complex setup. I'm not going to go into. It. I actually had like a three computer deal. I had one computer just for plugins, and it would pass. It would pass through that computer with plugins sitting in the digital rack in WaveLab, so that I could embed the plugins through the analog loop and not have to, you know, didn't leave it virtual. But that that was I blew that off after a while. But that was a cool setup. Um, so then I simplified to, to one computer and 
the one computer pit, pitches and catches, but now I leave everything at the native sample rate. So uh, in my DAW of choice, which is Sequoia, I it's greatly simplified because the mixes come out of one set of tracks. And if I want to go analog, they, it goes out to the analog stuff and then comes back in and gets re-recorded, you know, to a stereo track right above it. And so I don't need an addition. If I'm going to go analog, I don't need an additional gain stage in front of the analog stuff because I just gain the mix up or down to be exactly where I want it to mm-hmm. be. So um, the other thing I do is I monitor through uh, limiting. So I have, you know, any of four or five different limiters gained up somewhere between 8 and 10 dB that I'm monitoring through, which means that my A to D that's capturing after the analog stuff is cruising. It's, it, I, in fact, I don't even want to get into yellow. I've got like 6 dB of headroom. Hmm. Because I found out a long time ago, I did not like the sound of getting anywhere close to zero on an A to D. Mm-hmm. So, um, so there's a couple of benefits about this. Number one, it becomes ridiculously easy to revise anything because the captures are sitting in there with five or six dB headroom. Mm-hmm. So all you do is turn it up or turn it down. You don't have to change the limiter settings, and you certainly don't have to recapture. Um, so it's an ultra-efficient workflow. Um, as far as the the the, um, the analog gear itself, um, there was a time where I got, I got like really stupid with having zillions of things, um, and I've kind of pared down. Um, that was due to the fact that uh, when I moved to North Carolina. I had all my stuff in an up in a tiny upstairs guest bedroom in my house with a pair of Proax Studio 100s and a Velodyne subwoofer, and that was my my setup for a lot for years. And it sounded fine because I had the room heavily treated, but there was only you know it was tiny. It was I got tired of that, so I ended up moving the stuff into a separate gar- into a garage behind the house. And I had a lot more space to move, and I could use my big speakers, and I used those for a while. But I still had the the double rack, you know, desk with you know two full things in front of you, and I had it just loaded down with gear. And then I had side racks also loaded down with gear. <laughs> and uh, you know, I kind of noticed I wouldn't really use everything all that often. But what happened is I then. Uh, I was going to do a big studio. I decided not to do that. I bought a building, ended up selling the building. It was going to be way too expensive to build it. But this is after I bought plans and the whole thing. But So before I uh, decided to, to 86 the concept of building my dream studio, I pulled all my gear. Okay, let me see. I, I decided not to do the studio. But I had everything in the garage, and I thought, all right, I'm just going to make the garage better because, you know, I got I got several more years before I ride off in the sunset. I want to I want the garage to be nicer. So I I was going to redo the floors and 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 make it look better and make it feel better. So I pulled all the gear into the living room because I knew the living room sounded pretty good because I'd been reviewing high end hi fi as my kind of side 
side gig. And I heard a lot of systems in the living room and it really, you know, it sounded good. So, but I didn't, I didn't want to disassemble everything. So I brought in this little skeletal thing. I brought in one of the side racks and put it in the middle of me and just had like an EQ or two and the converters. And I don't, I think that's all I had. I think like two EQs and DS or something. And I kind of found that like, well, this is really all you need. So, um, so, so yeah, I mean, I really only just use two, two EQs and a compressor pretty much. I mean, the other stuff can be either done in digital or, or, uh, you know, if I, if I really want to, I can do an analog, but sometimes I'm like, I need one more EQ band, but I'm too lazy to write down that other EQ. So I'm just going to do it digital. <laughs> I need a DB and a half of 680 in the middle. I could write down, I could dial that up on my golly porter, but then I'd have to write it down. So I just end up doing it digital. Um, so the gear, the, the main gear is uh, the Sontec, the Terry EQ, and the uh, Vacuvox compressors. Um, and, you know, obviously some software here and there. Uh, and sometimes the software compressors win. I mean, the, the Vacuvox doesn't win, or sometimes, actually more often than not, no compression. Um, but, yeah, I just wanted, like, all the killer top-shelf stuff so that I could pretend I was cool, basically. <laughs> it serves Instagram well. That's about it. Well, I mean, I didn't get it for Instagram, but I, 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 I you know, I had those Electronaut uh, M97s for a while, and that was oh, going to be my cool. last. A big old that was going to be my units. last compressor. What? Those big old mono units. Huge, huge, yeah. yeah and awesome. I, you know, I, I don't know about four or five years ago, I had a really good couple of months, and I was like, all right, I'm gonna. And I called the guy, and he was super sweet and pretty knowledgeable and he custom made them. I had, you know, completely custom attack and release settings and all kinds of shit. And they got here and I was like, well, these don't really sound very good. <laughs> and, and I, I said, they're dark. They're super dark. I I've done tests. Like he's like, well, that's the Miller effect of the input control. I was like, well, I don't want that. He's like, well, you got to turn the input all the way up and take the pot out of the circuit. I went, well, then it's like 20 dB too hot. So he had to send me, um, you know, resistors in a barrel connector to knock the input down because it wasn't made for mastering. It was made to, you know, crush your room sound or your drum overheads or something. Mm -hmm. So this is the thing about Fairchild's or any Varimuse that have a, a variable uh, pot in front of it. The more that thing's turned down, the the more the top end rolls off. There's a, there's an interactive effect between the resist resistance of that pot and the circuit. <laughs> so uh, so anyway, I had it for a while, and it 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 was so clean, and obviously didn't it, it it almost didn't have much of a sound. So so I sold them, and this guy in Nashville bought them, and I looked on his his gram. And I was like, oh, shit, you have that Terry thing, and you got a bunch of other cool stuff. you got a Fairman, this or that. I said, how about if I drive them to you if you give me a couple of hours to, like, mess around with your stuff? He's like, deal. 
So that's when I heard the Terry for the first time. I was like, oh, well, fuck, I got to buy one of these. So, um, so then I, you know, I called Marshall and he dialed me up, dialed me in. But the thing about this analog gear is very little of it is built specifically for this task. And so, um, and because I'm a nut about unity, like I don't want any gain anywhere so that when I, bypass the thing in and out to hear what it's doing, there's not a big level jump. So the Terry was 1.4 dB hot from bypass. Like you engage it with no EQ. And it was, I was like, dude, you got to fix this. <laughs> and he's like, well, the op amp, I can't, I don't have a, I was like, I don't care how it sounds, just fix it. So I sent it back to him. And he's like, okay, I figured a way to make it sound the way the same sound, but now it's Unity. Um, and the and Terry, that's the guy who's the tech for Peter Reardon, Shadow Hills, right? Correct. And Marshall and I have, have gotten to be really good friends. Uh, Marshall's a great guy. He and uh, his buddy came down and spent uh, a couple days here recently. They drove back from a hi-fi show in D.C. and he brought his new power amp, and we checked that out. And cool. Um, yeah, we we talk on a regular basis. He's a he's a great dude. He's just a a really solid solid human being, and he's got great ears. And the EQ is the bomb. It's just it's for a long time. I had that and Sontech in front of me, and I started everything with just the Terry, and would just add in maybe a band if I even needed it in the Sontech. Um. It's it's that good. It's it's really good. I'm kind of using the Sontech more these days, but the Terry is by no means a color specialty piece. Like it could be your only EQ. Hmm. I remember it's, watching videos of him, and essentially he was kind of like picking and choosing different EQs that he really liked. And like the yellow EQ, the, or the yellow band was, I believe this uh, this like Neumann. E, like it, it was his idea. Yeah, the high, take. the high, the high and the low uh, uh, shelves are from a Pultec, and the mid range is from a Neumann PEV '60s Mastering EQ. <laughs> um, and there's two, you know, it, it, the mid range is not boost and cut. There's just, there's one section that boosts and one section that cuts, and you get different frequencies in each of those. So, mm-hmm. like, you know, like on the boost, it might be. You know, the mid-range might be 1.2K or something, but on the cut, it's like 820. So, like, Mm -hmm. there's different. um, You also get high and low shelves, and you can be very creative with that because you can make the the boost shelves into peaks by playing Mm -hmm. the the filters off the peaks, Mm -hmm. which is, that's like Doug Sachs 101. That's the mastering lab. That's, I don't know if y'all know this, but Doug Sachs, probably my, some ways my favorite mastering engineer of all time Mm -hmm. and somebody who I was lucky enough to, to hang out with on a number of occasions because I used to take my mix stuff to him and Doug was just amazing. He, Doug had no peaks in his mastering chain, all (laughs) shelves. And he just played, played shelves against each off each other. Jeez. Yeah. We, uh, uh, we reference uh, Doug and pretty much, Pretty much, we all have to be thankful for Doug. He pretty much ran the first yeah. independent mastering studio, so we yeah, are totally. 
where we totally. are because of him. Mm-hmm. Totally. So totally. it's like whether you're studying like like business wise or whether you're studying. I mean, even like how he had everything set up, he set up everything behind him, and him and it was his brother who they made all their gear. Well, yeah, his his that was the 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 final studio. the The original studio, of the gear was in front of him. Okay. Um, the the bulk of it, you know, the first, you know. 50 years of his career, the gear was in front of him. That the Ohio location was just the very end. Mm. Yeah, his brother built the stuff. Um, and it was it wasn't all custom pieces, they were all available pieces that they highly modified. Mm. Like the limiters were an LA2A that they took the transformers out of and reworked. Um, and the EQs were like a very rare universal audio. Uh, EQ that he put an active tube gain stage in. And, you know, his, once again, his chain was incredibly clean. I mean, um, very musical, but like super clean. Um, his console was all passive. He, first time I went there, he like popped the top on his console, wanted to show me the inside of the wiring and stuff. He was crazy. <laughs> it's like car guys. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. But his speakers were pretty weird because he was old school. And so his speakers were these double 15 and a horn, two-inch horn mm. driver on a big 90-degree radial and a little a little tweeter horn. And I could never really vibe with how it sounded in there. But but he knew it. And so uh, because he knew it, it, you were in good hands. But he had this other funny kind of song and dance thing he used to do. He had a light in the front of the control room that like toggled red and green and it had a little push button thing. And because he had totally duplicate EQs because he was set up to cut lacquers. And if you know anything about lacquer cutting, you have to have complete duplicate sets of EQ. Um, he, he repurposed his setup for digital where you don't need to do that by having a complete AB of like, the whole chain. And so he'd say, okay, you like this? And, you know, you'd sit on the couch in front and in front of him, he had a couch in front of the console and uh, he'd listen. He'd say, you like red or you like green? And it was a question of like, it was like, he wouldn't tell you what it was, but it was like, do you want one DB at 10 K or a DB and a half at 12 K? You know, like that was the deal. Do you want, you know, a DB at, 2db at 80 or a db at 100 you know like if and you just say i like green he's like okay and then he just refine it and keep working and then he'd give you another choice and so he had, he he was a real so everyone was, should run their attended sessions like an eye doctor <laughs> that's the way to do it <laughs> that's so great yeah it's like you're not giving him a choice to be like well i don't know it's like no it's red or green which one do you like yeah no doug was cool it was that's awesome. He was a great guy, but I, I've, you know, the other thing that's difficult about nowadays is is that, um, uh, it was a lot harder to get into studios to like learn stuff, but yet once you kind of got in, if you, you know, were not a jerk and you knew how to ask people the right questions. Those guys would tell you anything. Like, so instead of getting, you know, fifth hand information on the internet, you're getting it straight from the horse's mouth. Yeah. And I had 
a lot of those guys, those legendary guys at Sterling and a lot of other places tell me exactly how they did shit. Hmm. So, um, yeah. So that's, that's awesome. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And let's see, it's, it's not that there's any one thing to do it. That's, that's the other thing I think that the audience, um, should understand one of the, the first professional place I worked, uh, I had, I had all the stuff just set up in my, our apartment in New York for a couple of years and trying to figure out how to do it. And then I finally, I got a job, uh, at Scott Hall mastering. And, um, I learned a tremendous amount from Scott. Scott was, was a great teacher and was very instrumental and kind of up in my game. And, it was the first time I'd ever worked at a real place where, where they, I kind of saw like how they, you know, really do stuff and how they, they really dealt with stuff. Um, and Scott used to say, you know, there's like five or six ways it can be right. You just have to get one of those ways and you're good. Mm-hmm. You know, like don't obsess about, there's no perfect way it's going to be. Just get, get in the ballpark and you're, you're good. He used to have this little thing. He, he'd have a little, uh, He'd try and teach us. And, you know, in the beginning, of course, you know, you spend like, you know, an hour or more per tune or two hours or you spend, you work on it and you take a break, you come back. It's like, oh, that sucks. I got to start over. And what you find out is that it's not like a badge of honor necessarily to see how quick you can do it. But, you know, the other thing I learned when I would, Remember, I had like years of attended sessions when I was a mixer for you know twenty years, mm-hmm. and, and I would always go, and so I would go to Bernie's, and I'd go with you know I'd be in uh, 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 those guys' rooms, or I I did a lot of stuff at uh, Marcus and Mastering uh, Precision, and uh, got to know Stephen pretty well, and I, I'd always go to those attended sessions, and I would see how they all worked, and you know I went to gateway and ludwig uh i was there attended for when he did a thing and any of those like real guys if they don't have it by the end of the first play they're gonna have it halfway through the next play Mm -hmm. Hmm. so like if you don't get in 10 or 15 minutes you're something's you're you're heading in the wrong direction um that being said i mean sometimes you get like weird problem tracks that you might take you know half an hour whatnot or maybe you do the initial thing and it takes 15 to 20 minutes and then you want to kind of slice it up and do some volume things or whatever phase two. But in general, um, and how I think I up my game without realizing it is once I started working at Scott's, I, I no longer had the luxury of kind of being at my apartment and, you know, like, here I was like going into work and I had a finite amount of time and I had a fair amount of stuff to do. So you have to work quick Hmm. and you're working quick just out of necessity. And Scott used to have this thing. He has like this digital timer and he hit it on and it would count down or count up and he'd say, see this, this clock here, this is, this is money. And the higher this number goes, the less money you're making, <laughs> or or some or something like that, you know. Yeah, uh, I mean, it's smart. But his point was is that you should you should endeavor to to get skilled at trusting, you know, your first impressions, and 
The other thing I remember very clearly is in the in the age of workstations, it's uh, it, it's. I mean, I don't consider it cheating. I, I mean, I, I I needle drop now uh, without thinking about it. But in the old days, <clears throat> you know, like you know, you, like you do the first song, or well, in the days of the early days of when I was mastering in a workstation, you know, you do the first song and and you do the next song and you compare, you compare to that first one, and then and you're always make, making these comparisons. Well, that's not how the old school guys do it because they were you couldn't do that. Yeah you're working off tape and the where it's going to go is it's going to go to a lacquer. And so you get the settings for the first song, then you play the next song and you get the settings and you repeat that for all the songs on side A. And then when you get side A and side B, then you just run the lacquer and swap settings for every song as it goes by. And that's the first time you've heard them compared to each other. Yeah. So when I, I forced myself in, in my early days of mastering to do each song in the order without referring to the song previous. Mm-hmm. And and the first time I did that, I was like, well, they all sound like they work together great. I thought, okay, that's I've gotten a major important piece of the puzzle there. Mm. So anyway, that's I could go off on many other things, but any other... <laughs> questions about gear or methods well sam has told me you are uh you're quite the fan of dsers and my uh, <laughs> my least my least favorite letter in the alphabet is the letter s so i'd love to you know hear a hear a brief synopsis of you know okay. that that hatred well <laughs> my i i you know i think everybody here is different and and i think sure. that there's uh there's no there's no harm in 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 leaving it you know uh close to what to what it is but my my relationship with that is really informed by historical context because um since I'm a little older than you guys you know I grew up listening to records and you know classic rock which at the time was not classic it was just the new music mm-hmm. um and there ain't no S's on any of that stuff, <laughs> ever. Period. <laughs> put on, put on a Beatles record, or put on a Zeppelin record, or put on anything. There is no S's on any of that. Was it because and it's you because, can't cut it? Well, it's because it's all going to lacquers, and they just have mm. to DS the fuck out of it, or else they burn up the la- the head. So the other reason for that is that it's recorded on tape, and the tape compresses the shit out of high frequency transients. Mm. So. So my ear has grown up with both as a listener and then later as a music production person in the days of tape. Um, you record your tracks to a 24 track and you bounce the vocal down two or three times because you're making a vocal composite. And so the vocal sits on four tracks. You make it, Then you bounce it to a keeper track with all of the switches for the best performance. And then... And you're going through a console two or three times. For the case of the vocal, it's going through the console three times because it's going through there to get bounced. And then you print it on half inch. And if if you do nothing to it, it DSs the fuck out of it <laughs> without doing anything. Okay. So the other the other thing is that you're not using traditionally your the way you 
get a really spitty S is by having a lot of heavy compression. And it lets that first spike of the high frequency through because it doesn't trigger the threshold of the compressor. So if you mm. compress a vocal 5 or 10 dB, anybody is going to have the S's highly accentuated. Um, and in today's, you know, people that are making music today, they don't have that built-in curve in their head of what it should sound like. Mm -hmm. So they're, they just accept, well, that's just how it sounds. And I'm like, no, that's not how it should sound. That's how, that's how it sounds in digital. <laughs> if you've, if you have no high frequency, if the high frequencies have not been, you know, massaged a shred and it's been compressed two or three times, then all of a sudden your S's and T's are 10 dB louder than everything else. So, I all I try and do is make it sound like it would sound if I had recorded it in 1984 on a Neve <laughs> and Studer's. That's so yeah. That's that's my that's my theory there. And so to that end, I I have a bunch of different DSers and software and hardware, and um, I. I have no problem if I have to use like, you know, two software DSers and two hardware DSers all at the same time to make sure. it sound like a violent sound. So yeah, you have that's any just particular my... you have any particular flavors you like? Um well I have the I've got the Maslek, um the MDS two, which I like a lot. And I like that better than the peak limiter one because the peak limiter one is not discrete two channel it's stereo mm -hmm. and i have the i have the my two analog dsers inside of an ms loop so i'm only dsing in the middle usually that was my question yeah if uh, uh if you use those in ms that would I do. be that would and be the strength of it since it's all swept totally totally and then and and every once in a while you get like really loud crap cymbal crashes but those are on the sides but those are actually easier to deal with usually in software but um so I've got the MDS2, and then I have a Neumann BSB74, which is out of a a uh, uh, Sal 74, what they call the cutting rack, which is the the electronics that pair with a. That's an acceleration uh, the, limiter, isn't it? Well, it's just a DSer. I mean they they call it that because they they call it that because the way you specify high frequencies in lathe terms is. You talk about you talk about level in lathe terms as a, as as an acceleration because the head has to go from stop to full tilt, and so there's nothing. It's just a deesser, but they they term that because it makes a little more sense in the world of lathe speak. It's just a it's just a deesser like anything else. Mm. There's nothing. You know, I mean, it it works in a weird way, but not because because of uh, you know, yeah, that's a whole long discussion as the lathe thing, but we won't get into that. But so the, I've got the BSB seventy four, and it has a it has a very unique sound to it, and I've had it. it this one's been modified by Chris Muse, so it's it's um, it's been cleaned up even from the stock its stock state. Um, and it, yeah, it, it, it's, it's kind of a unique beast. It kind of, 
anything you put through it, like all, all instantly sounds like it's been on tape. It's kind of the, the analoger, but I don't, I don't use it that much. I mean, it's, it's, it works when it works, it works great, but it doesn't, it doesn't work for everything. Sure. You don't see them pop up on the used market too much. No, because there's not too many people that would take them out of a Sal 74 rack. You know, that's, I mean, the lathes and the racks are hard enough to find. And then finding one that's been taken out of a rack is, is even more difficult. And they're also, they also don't have individual bypasses. And Chris put bypasses for them individually. He put, he put his own circuit for the output and he also had to change the level because they're at a weird level and a bunch of other stuff. But, um, but yeah, they're, they're cool. Sometimes it's just the, the right thing. But yeah, I use a lot of software too. Right on. So deviating a little bit from the gear talk, what else do you do outside of audio? Like what is, what is kind of like a, a day in the life look like? And like, what are your, what are your other interests? besides? Well, um, I'm into exercise and I'm into, uh, cooking. I'm, I'm really into, uh, I've got a lightweight road bike. I do a fair amount of bike riding. Uh, I used to ride with a meetup group, uh, but I kind of fell off my game during the pandemic and it's, really hard to get back into shape <laughs> to do the kind of, I was doing like the 50 mile rides and oh, I've wow. done a couple of hundred mile rides and, you know, typical. There was a time though, a few years ago where I would like power to get done with work by, you know, like five o'clock or five thirty, So I could go on like a 6 PM ride and we'd ride, you know, 35, 40 miles. And I do that two or three times a week. Um, Good for you. Uh, I like to cook, do a lot of cooking. In fact, I do almost all my own cooking um, because as of about eight years ago, I turned vegan because my girlfriend's vegan and I decided to experiment with it and didn't think it would stick, but it, it did. So, And because I'm in a little town and there's so few options restaurant-wise, I just end up cooking 90% of my stuff myself. So... Yeah, I cook cook lots of vegan meals. Um, my hobbies, other than just reading, I'm a huge avid reader. Um, the the other thing that's really been spending a lot of my time lately is this is this home hi fi thing, which um, which I didn't ever think I'd really be interested in, but. Um, these guys approached me about three years ago to see if I would be interested in writing for their online uh, kind of review magazine. And and I said, you know, I don't know if that kind of thing interests me. I mean, I used to, when I was a kid, I saw Hi-Fi at a store to pay the bills. And I, I at various times, I've had some okay systems, but, you know, nothing great because my real, any expenditure, extra income went for, you know, the kids or buying mastering gear or whatever. So um, anyway, I went to a hi-fi show in DC about three years ago and I really, I kind of flipped out. I thought it was really cool. So um, I started writing for them, which means that as much or as little as I want companies from all over the world, send me gear to put in my home system and listen to, and then write about it and kind mm. of review it. And um, 
dude, I want, <laughs> you can't believe the craziness. Uh, it's kind of beyond, I'll put you this way, about, about six or eight months ago, I had a system at home that I was reviewing that topped a million dollars. Good grief. <laughs> so, yeah. So it's great because I get to hear all this stuff that, you know, I wouldn't afford or wouldn't want to get even if I could afford it. Uh, Is any of that but, stuff like, I, I, I suppose it's like an interesting bridge and I'm keeping an eye on the clock, but is any of that really, could you ever use any of that to master on or is it well, just kind of yeah, like because flavors? That's how I ended up with my, my mastering system is, you know, for a long time I had kind of the, Back in the day, which was kind of the standard Ted Jensen kind of Sterling system, I had B and W Nautilus 801s, mm-hmm. which is the the three way with a fifteen and kind daddy. of robot robot looking thing. And then I had the Canadian amps that were typically used with those, made by this company called Class A, which is a, mm-hmm. a um, because the Class A's worked particularly well with the with the Nautilus series for a number of reasons I won't go into, but um, the speaker is really hard on amps and you have to have the right kind of amp with it or else it just doesn't, it doesn't sound very good. So, so I had the class a, I had these two 600 watt monos and then the two uh, Nautilus 801s. And that was the system I used for, for a long time. Then when I brought the stuff in from the garage ostensibly to remodel the garage. And then I decided, no, fuck that. I'm just going to keep it in the living room. Um, that was the part of the story I didn't finish because what we ended up doing is we ended up buying another house to live in. And I just have this one house just for the studio <laughs> that I used to live in because the living room sounds so great and I didn't have to spend anything but some a little bit of acoustic treatment here and there. So when I brought all the system in from the garage, I didn't want to haul the speakers in. I just kind of put them in a storage thing in the back of the house and I had these Acora speakers from a review that I'd done. Um, they hadn't gone back yet because the owner was very gracious and I said, look, I don't, it's not likely I'm going to be able to afford these, but he's like, oh, well, well, just keep them for a while. We don't, you know, we don't need them back. So I hooked them up to see about using them for mastering because I remember when I reviewed them, I thought, man, these things are so un colored and unhyped that they'd probably mm. be really great mastering speakers. And sure enough, they turned out to be amazingly good mastering speakers. So um, I ended up buying them. And then the the past lab amps that I had from past that were kind of a long-term loan um, worked perfectly with them. And I ended up buying those as well. Um, but I wouldn't probably have been exposed to that system if I if it hadn't been for the reviewing, if I reviewing stuff. But yeah, my the current system in the living room now it's by far the best ma- monitoring system and best sounding control room I've ever been in. Period. And that's always been a, a question of mine how how well do hi, does does the hi fi let's say sector cross into the mastering sector. And, yeah, uh, I think so. I think that most of the speakers are really engineered to make a broader range of music sound listenable. And even when you even when you get into some of the, like really high end ones that are supposedly you know really accurate, 
they're still tuning them so that uh, nobody wants, you know, the octave centered at 3K to be flat. They just mm-hmm. don't. But the Acoras are flat. And so um, I can... I can use them for I can they're great to use for mastering because they they tell me everything but but at the same time there's this weird thing that I think you're able to transcend with home with hi-fi speakers that you it's very hard to get with pro speakers and that is with the right kind of curated hi-fi monitor you can have it be as accurate as you possibly need but if you get the right stuff it's going to make stuff more listenable Hmm. And yeah, that's that's another thing that I learned by going into the big studios and attending. I'd be like, "Well, how, why does it sound so good in here?" And I mean, these are just hi-fi speakers. How does like y- you know? I mean, that's a long subject to get into. But I always ask myself, I "Was like, well, if I go, why does it sound so good when you go into Bernie's? Like, what, what it? But, but yet." it doesn't sound good in a way that's not letting them hear what they need to hear. Mm -hmm. So how does that work? You know? Um, And so that was kind of a long process of figuring out it. And, and so it's not like you have to have this, this bizarrely flat uncolored thing to work on. It just has to have enough information for you to tell what to do, but you have to just vibe with it. Everybody's got their own personal take on what they like to hear and you know the accords just happen to be exactly what I want to hear. So sure. And you look back at some of the old Sterling rooms and it's you saw like like a bunch of the B and W Nautilus. Mm-hmm. Saw Greg Calby, he had the massive Pro X. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um and so there was a interesting there, there's just been like an interesting I don't I don't know if it's like even like called like a duality between hi fi and mastering grade. Yeah. Stuff. So it's always it's always been a question of mine. Um, well, generally the hi-fi stuff is it's the really well done hi-fi stuff will just give you more information because it's not made to have to withstand EQing a bass drum at like 105 dB, mm-hmm. and so the very best it, in the old days you had systems that were more detailed and more accurate and lower in coloration than their associated pro audio, but they were kind of maybe too easy to blow up or maybe they, they wouldn't accurately reflect dynamics because they weren't built to withstand a full dynamic signal in the inner, in the interim years, the, the really high end home hi-fi guys now make speakers that have, that are just as hardy and just as indestructible as any, you know, friggin' ATC or Genelec or whatever, but they're much lower in coloration, they're much more detailed, and they tell you way more information. Hmm. That's my take on it. Well, appreciate that. And so we got about nine minutes left, and I have two questions for you. So we'll probably Sam, be... you're strangely silent. I'm just listening. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, you'll start talking and I'll just sit back in my chair and be like, man, this is like it's just so much good good knowledge. I mean, you know the podcast on the podcast, I just go for 30, 40 minutes straight. So uh, when we yeah. interview someone else, I try to shut up. <laughs> okay. I'm just so used to hearing 
Sam and Matt talk that I've, I've, well, I feel weird monopolizing. No, that's the whole point of well, this episode. Well, the, the episode has your name in it. So, <laughs> okay, right. all right. Everybody else okay. gets us for, you know, 50 other hours a year. So, okay. You can have okay. one. Okay. So, two questions for you. And I'm going to keep to the eight minutes we have left. What advice do you have for the, the new guys and gals getting into this? Um, it's, it's kind of the same advice you hear that's not particularly uh, intuitive or exciting or sexy, and that is that it's really all your monitor system. Mm. It is I, – I can't even stress that enough because I started – well, I started working on some Meyer sound, those like – two ways kind of in a small box mm-hmm. uh, uh, you know the one I'm talking about um, they were kind of a big thing Meyer I can't remember the name of the system but they're like a sound reinforcement company that also did like really high end theater sound hmm. they had like some kind of connection with the Grateful Dead anyway so I started out the first mastering studio I worked at was as a freelance guy just I wasn't yet calling myself a mastering engineer. I would just, they would let me come in and I would just do projects that I had mixed because there wasn't enough budget to go, you know, somewhere else. Um, That, that room. So I started there and then I had a series of other rooms and other speakers, like a lot of rooms and a lot of speakers. And Every time I got to a situation where I could improve this the room and take out any make the, it, in other words it's I mean this is a common thing everybody will see this said over and over but I can't stress enough that like I would rather have a laptop with some waves plugins listening to my monitor system than any of the most exotic gear in just an average standing room. Mm -hmm. Preach. It's all about the monitor system. So I had a guy reach out to me because I really like to sort of help and mentor people. And a a European young European guy reached out and, and he's like, um, I'm, I'm, I'm jumping into the mastering game and, uh, I know enough to know that I don't have the space or the budget to do it right with speakers. So I'm going to get headphones and a, and a high-end headphone rig. And so he got Odyssey LCD X's and an SPL Phonitor, which I... That thing's cool. I would recommend that starting. That's a great place to start for anyone. Um, I mean, you know, the danger is that you might get so clued into working on headphones, you might not be able to work on anything else and then kind of later on if your career improved you kind of let yourself out of the fun of hearing speakers but you know oh darn he can travel while doing this well i do that too yeah i i my uh my partner and i kind of go back and forth she has a place in uh near seattle and so i like to go out there in the summers and um i do openly work on headphones and um I don't enjoy it, but I can certainly do good work on it. And I was really secretive about it at first because I thought my clients would freak out. And then 
after many successful projects, I told him and there's like, we don't really care. So <laughs> are you on the LCD X's? I am. And I, I have a very old pair and apparently the tuning has changed over the years. And I think my pair, I went to Odyssey uh, a couple years back in LA and had them repadded and met the, the chief guy, this amazing guy, Sankar, very cool, cool guy. And they measured them. They're like, yeah, they're, they're fine. And then another friend of mine who is, who's a, uh, lives in LA, who's a, music production guy, but also is one of my co-writers that reviews the gear. He's kind of more of a headphone specialist than I am. And he's heard my LCD X's and he's like, dude, this is probably like the best sounding pair of LCD X's ever. Mm. So I got lucky with those, but there's a lot of good headphones out there and you can, you can get used to just about anything really. Sure. So I have one more question for you. Yeah. With the three minutes I have left, I kid you not, I have a whole nother page of questions. <laughs> but I, I also, at the top of my notes page, have written since this episode started, Dave McNair Part One. So, <laughs> okay. so well, next year, maybe maybe the end of next year in the summer or something. Yeah, well, this, can... will, this will this will come out on the twenty eighth, so we can just schedule you for you know sometime in January. That'd be great. <laughs> It'll be still next year. So okay, here's here's the here's the question we finish all of our interviews with. Uh, we started it with uh, with uh, James Rudder, and he's he kind of brought this up, and then we asked him, and we've continued it. <clears throat> what are you learning? Um, I. I love to learn. I'm a lifelong learner and I have, I have been blessed with a very inquisitive mind. Um, I'm kind of learning more about vacuum tube circuit design these days. Um, and uh, I'm learning about extremely high end speaker design because the guy that builds the Acorus is a friend of mine and we talk a lot about design. He's a, brilliant designer um i'm you know i'll i'll hear you and sam talk about some new plug-in on the podcast and i'll have to check that out and see if <laughs> there's something cool about that so i mean i'm not not learning about mastering but um i i try and kind of limit the amount of new stuff i try just because it's can be distracting so I try and strike a balance between just doing what I've been doing for, for years and then trying some new techniques or maybe going back to some old techniques I abandoned and saying, mm-hmm. well, maybe try, let me try that again. Um, so really kind of just, I don't know. I'm, I'm learning some Beatles and some Bowie songs to, so that my girlfriend and I can sing some songs at Christmas. I love that. <laughs> That's cool. She's like, would you pull out your guitar and learn some songs Aww. we can sing? I said, yes. <laughs> so I'm, I'm getting good at two of us and life on Mars. So we can. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> That's great. Well, Dave, She's got a great voice and, and I, I'm terrible. So, yeah. <laughs> well, I, uh, I haven't been able to hold a tune since I found the the joy of cigars. So I used to I used to sing I had a, lot, a cigar man. phase. I, I I had a I had a big cigar phase way back. I I, I kind of got off that because I my taste got too good and I couldn't afford it. Um, oh, there you go. But I'm kind of boring. I mean, I don't drink. 
I don't, I don't do much of anything except music <laughs> stuff and, and stay in shape. I work out two or three times a week. Uh, I read a lot. I'll tell you something that I've really enjoyed a lot. And, and I thought I had completely lost the ability to, to listen to music and enjoy it. Like, mm. um, and I think anybody in pro music production that sort of talks a lot about the music. Um, I used to be jealous of them. Like, Oh, that guy's they're, they're just bullshitting. That guy doesn't even listen to music. You know, they, <laughs> how can you listen to music when you spend 10 or 10 hours a day, you know? And I found that, um, I am just the absolute caricature of the old white dude with the high end stereo that listens to vinyl. And I have this like insane turntable and I, I've kind of gotten to where I, I don't monitor as loud as I used to. I used to monitor pretty loud. And, um, I've kind of found that I don't monitor as loud as I used to, partly because I want to be able to go home and, and have my hearing intact to listen to records all night. <laughs> right. Mm. Uh, so yeah, I'm a big vinyl collector, huge, huge record listener, and like every conceivable thing. I've really gotten into hip hop the past year, drilling down deep on '90s hip hop, mm-hmm. classic Jay Dilla, Tree. Um, that was kind of started by reading this brilliant book about Jay Dilla's life called Dilla Time, which I would highly recommend to not only hip hop heads but any any fans of music books. Go find Dan. I can't think of Dan's last name, but go find Dilla Time. It's it's the best, one of the best music books I've ever read. So now I'm like super into hip hop. Um, Barking up Sam's tree. Let's say, you, you know, good. I'm probably never going to be into like trap and like some of the stuff now, but like '90s. Mm-hmm. And man, I cannot get enough of that stuff. So, yeah, that's, that's fascinating. <laughs> Good for you. Well, I would, uh, I would say let's uh, let's call at uh, at an hour and a half. Let's call an episode an episode. Mm-hmm. We'll call part one part one. Um, Sam, do you have any questions for for Dave that you like on the air at all? No, I don't have anything. Oh, Sam, you're disappointing me. <laughs> I'll just. Call I it. thought you would. I'll just call. I it. thought you would ask why I don't. Use the massive passive or something. Well, we can do that in part two. I just knew we had a hard out tonight, so okay, you know. okay, okay. We do so, need to do a whole episode on why you don't like the massive passive. Well, I let's not you know, get into I keep, it. <laughs> all right, <laughs> I borrowed one after listening to y'all's show to check out again. Uh, oh man, and I was like, nope. Sorry. I'll tell you what we have. We we say this. It's so, somewhat jokingly, but with absolute candor, we have zero idea of who listens to this show or the reach. Yeah. And to think that you've spent time listening to our show is absolutely beyond humbling. Oh, totally! So, I love it. Yeah. So thank you. Oh um, yeah, you guys if, are great and always great topics. Always entertaining. Just because you know you're. Chemistry between you guys is great, and and I, and and I love the two different the two different approaches to mastering and 
you know, one of you is wrong, but I'm not going to say who that person is. It's me. Oh, it's me. Uh, no, it's me. I slam my <laughs> stuff and you don't. I, I, I slam my stuff and I know through this whole episode that that's a no-no and I got to figure out a new way to route my stuff. <laughs> I used to do it like that. I mean, I, I that's not, it's not invalid. It's just I have my reasons for not, for doing it differently now, so... Well, that will be part three. Yeah, yeah. Part two. I'll part lead three. All the so now, so now there's an obligation that whenever one of us talks out of our butt on the show, you have to call <laughs> us out. Yeah, you that's your responsibility now. We need to just do an episode of corrections by Dave. Yeah, <laughs> I. Dave's I'm not. Corner. Yeah, I can't. I can't remember now, but I've heard a couple things that I thought. They're close, but that's not exactly the right I know, story. I love that. <laughs> there was something about bitrate or something that one time, which we're we gonna, can't we go need down to, the rabbit hole. Okay, okay. <laughs> well, two, we can though, have a separate part yeah, two. We'll yeah. do corrections with Dave and some other fun. Things. I do know my digital theory pretty well. Yes, so. you do. Yeah. Perfect. We'll have you on for it. Part four. Thanks, y'all. Appreciate it. <laughs> cool. So, if you hear a sweet beat in the background, not you, Dave, we're not doing it yet. But if you, the audience, hear a sweet beat in the background, that is Sam Later, and he does an absolute killer job. He makes new tunes for this episode every, or every single episode, but this is like episode 135 or wherever we're at. So that means he's made 135 new songs, intros, outros for this podcast. Just drop him a DM to say thank you. Um, he makes this sound, this whole podcast sound awesome. Um, so just shoot him some thanks. If you like what you heard, um, feel free to subscribe, leave a comment, um, some stars wherever you're listening. Um, I can take off my headphones now since I can't hear my my voice, my, my voice like I normally do. Um, if you can take a screenshot and post it anywhere that you are listening, Instagram, uh, Facebook, wherever, just, I don't know, print it out, give it to your grandma, be like, hey, check this out. <laughs> Um, we would we would really appreciate it. Um, just share with a friend. If you need anyone to master your tunes to bring them across the finish line, Dave McNair can be. I was going to say, I know, two, I know two guys on this. I know two guys on this podcast right Sam now. Sam can be found at uh, Moses Mastering. I can be found at For the Record Mastering. So, uh, I think with that. I think this is one hell of an episode, Dave. Thank you again, just for You're, all you guys the wisdom. Are welcome. Can't wait till part two, three through ten. <laughs> it's gonna, it's gonna be released as like a DVD set. We've actually <laughs> joked before, never on the podcast. We've joked before about doing an episode on, about vinyl, but none of us cut vinyl. But oh, if yeah, we I, were to do one, I can talk for an hour. We about just that sell it. Well, we yeah. sell it as merch on a yeah. vinyl record. Yeah, so it's, it's a episode you have to buy and listen to on vinyl. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, we'll have to we'll have to get into that. Anyway, morning, afternoon, evening, whatever y'all are having, have a darn good one. Sam, cue the music. Dave, thank you again so much. Thanks, Matt. Thanks, Sam. You're welcome. Cool. Cueing. Thanks, gents. See ya. Bye.